How are you out there? Get your Bibles out this morning. We're in Proverbs 6, studying our way through. There's so much more in here. We're going to be here a while, God willing. But uh, let's get to Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Our target verse is verse 18 today. Uh, And as we are looking at this passage, 16 through 19 of chapter 6, we're looking at seven things that the Lord hates. And, you know, it might have seemed interesting to start a series on this as we preach through Proverbs 6, but the God who's described in the New Testament as love also hates some things. You say, well, why, who a God is love, why would he hate anything? Because he hates things that hurts what he loves, and God loves people. And because God loves people, he sees some of these things that people do to one another, and he hates them, and he wants them to cease from doing those things, cease hurting people, so that people can be blessed and that he can pour out his grace upon them. Father, we thank you this morning for the study. We thank you for Proverbs 6, for the wisdom that you've tucked in your scripture. For those of us who would seek you past the ordinary, Lord, that would seek you with their whole hearts. So, Father, as we seek you with all our hearts this morning, open up truth to us. Holy Spirit, drive it deep into us. Change the way we think, act, feel, and live, Lord. Change our walk. And we ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said... Proverbs 6, 16, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, listen to verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Uh, If you'd close your eyes and just listen to verse 18, here's our target verse, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. When I told you to close your eyes, I almost closed mine, but then I realized I couldn't read the verse. It's good to be obedient. Now, verse 18 gives us the fourth and fifth thing that the Lord hates. This God who's love and who loves us and sent Jesus for us and forgives us of all of our sin, he hates some things. And the Fourth thing that he hates is a heart that devises wicked plans. The King James Version of the Bible says, a heart that devises a wicked imaginations. How many people have a good imagination? Amen, you're afraid to raise your hand now. But imagination can be a good thing, amen? It's what spurns creativity. And if you have a good imagination, you can be creative. And we see this in so many areas, how the imagination lends itself to creativity. And that's a good thing. But a heart that devises wicked plans is something that God looks at and and categorically he rejects it. Now, remember, as we've been studying through the scripture, looking at Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 3 on Wednesday night, if you're here for that study, we're looking at that. The Bible defines the heart in a way that we need to understand it. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it's not talking about the organ that pumps blood through your body. Amen. How many are glad to have a heart that's pumping? Amen. That's, it's good news. You're up this morning. Your heart is pumping. You're breathing. You're alive. You're in church. We're off to a good start. But when the Bible says, you know, the heart is not talking about, you know, that muscle in your chest pumping blood through your body. The Bible defines the heart as the mind, the will, and the emotions of man. So when we see that word heart there, a heart that devises wicked plans, we're talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. And these three things accomplish, you know, 
something in us where it's the driving force in us. It's what gives us spiritual life. It's the heart. Our minds are gifts from God. You know, God gave every one of us a mind, and he gave us free will. Free will is a good thing, amen. You know, you might say, well, you know, uh, I get forced to do a lot of things in life. Why, you know, why do you say that I have free will? Well, we have a free will to choose what we're going to do, even though sometimes when we have no choice, we can still choose how we're going to respond to it. Our minds are incredible. They're a gift from God, and we can submit our mind to God, our will. Each of us have this, you know, free will that we can submit to God, or we can use our will to do our own thing and answer to nobody. All of us have emotions. Some people are good at expressing emotions. Some people not so good. And we have these emotions, and they're valid, and God gave them to us. So when the Bible talks about the heart, it's the mind, the will, and the emotion. So we could read verse 18 like this. Uh, a heart, the mind, the will, and the emotions that devises wicked plans or imagination. And that's what the scripture is suggesting to us, that our minds, our will, and our emotion can, you know, be yielded in a way that we would devise and plot and plan some things that are unpleasing to God and destructive to others. Now, in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 17, 9. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? The truth is that our hearts are all treacherous to some degree. Have you ever in your mind or in your will or in your emotions wanted something that you had your heart set upon and you thought, if I could just get this, it's going to make me happy. It's going to make life easier. It's, maybe it's a relationship that if I could just be in this relationship, oh, it's going to be so wonderful from here on out. And then you get what your heart wanted only to find out you got tricked. Come on, don't look at me so, so holy out there. You ever, you know, you ever like, oh, if I could just date this person, if I could just be in a relationship with them, life would be a living hell. <laughs> and you get what you want, and you realize that person wasn't for you. I'm just going to let it sink in with the rest of them. I know about you, but I had a couple detours on the way to Kim, and I'm glad that God didn't answer some of my prayers, amen. Oh, if you just give me this, Lord, I'll never ask for anything else. The heart is deceptive. It's tricky. It'll trick you. It'll deceive you. And when, once you've gotten what your heart was set on and you realize that, you know, it didn't satisfy, it didn't fill you, it wasn't what you needed, it, we stand there and we're like, wow, I can't even trust my own heart. It just shows us how much we need the leading of the Holy Spirit, how much we need the Lord to direct our paths, amen, how much our, our hearts can trick us. Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. No one can claim to have a perfect heart, a pure heart all the time. You ever see the, well, God knows my heart, yes, and that's why Jesus had to die for us, amen. Well, God, you know, uh, our hearts are not right all the time, amen? Even the best of us, even the ones of us that try the hardest and walk the closest with Jesus, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. So none of us can say, I have a pure heart all the time, every time. Do you know there are times when all of us are selfish? This is the part where I usually get the least response. You know, we're all a little bit selfish at times. You know, the pizza box opens up, and what do we do? We eyeball the biggest piece of pizza. 
We look at it, we count the pepperonis. That one's not for me. Look at that one. Looks like, who cut that one? That guy was drunk. I want this. I want this piece, right? You, you pull it out, it's like a quarter of the pie. Why? Because we, we can all be selfish at times. We consider ourselves before we consider everyone else. All of us can be jealous at times. Did you ever want something and see somebody else who didn't even want it get it? And you got to be like, <laughs> come on, Lord, I wanted that. They don't even appreciate it. They got property with a big fishing pond on it, all kinds of fish in it. They don't even fish. We can all be selfish. We can all be jealous. All of us can be manipulative when we want to get our way. Come on, anybody married? Spouses manipulate each other all the time. Oh, it's getting quiet now. We can be insecure. We can be greedy. You know, there's times where we can all be petty and mean. We can be immoral and lustful. All of us, our hearts are never perfect every time, all the time. All of us are susceptible to all of these things and so much more. That being said, our hearts be, can be inclined to one of two default settings. Our hearts can be inclined to wickedness or they can be inclined to righteousness. If you see a person whose heart's inclined to wickedness, they're always getting into trouble. They're always making messes. They're always stirring up, you know, everywhere they go. Why? Because their heart is inclined. It's preset. It's made a choice to wickedness. Or you can, you can be a person that sets your heart to righteousness. Now, let's look at the wickedness here. Genesis 6, 5 gives us a picture of this. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was so great in the earth that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is God talking about Noah's generation. Look, now, you know what happened with Noah's generation? God sent a flood and wiped them all out. You say, why did God do that? Was, does God need to take an anger management class? Was he in a bad mood? No, he looked at the condition of their hearts. Look what he said, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. God had to send a flood to wipe man out and start over. It was like God took his etch-a-sketch and went, <laughs> cleared the screen. The young people are going, etcher who? Sketch what? It's not a video game. Before we had video games, we had imagination. We'd spend hours making stairs. <laughs> That's for the old people, right? Look at these stairs I made, Pastor Mike. God just shook the screen and said, I'm starting over. Why? Because every intent of the thought of his heart, the whole generation was only evil continually. Wow, there was a generation that walked away from God, said we don't want God in our thoughts, in our behavior. We, we're just going to ignore him and do our own thing. And God said, here comes a flood. Now, I'm so thankful that in the New Testament of grace, God has sent us another flood. It's a flood of the blood of Jesus, amen, that covers our sin and our iniquity and gives us grace, amen. <laughs> I don't know about you, but he, he could have drowned us out a couple times already. But thank God for the flood of his grace. 
So a heart can be inclined to wickedness. And we've seen in Scripture a whole generation inclined to wickedness. But the heart of man can also be inclined to righteousness. Listen to Psalm 119, 112. Hear what the psalmist says. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. That's beautiful right there. The psalmist is saying what? I made a decision. I've set my will. I've chosen this day whom I'm going to serve. I am going to incline my heart. See that? The heart can be inclined. It can be set. There can be a, a decision made. I have inclined my heart to perform thy statutes. God, I'm not going to do what I think is right and what I want to do and what I feel, but I'm going to do what you say, God, because I love you and I trust you and I want to please you and I want to walk before you. I love this here. I've inclined my heart to perform thy statutes even unto the end. I don't care who likes it and who doesn't like it. I don't care if it's politically correct or not. I don't care if everybody boos me, kicks me off social media. I don't get any likes. I'm going to do what you said, God, because I live to please you. Amen. You see, we need more people in our generation to stand up against the mob and saying, no, I'm not falling in line with your ridiculous nonsense. I'm going to stand on the truth that has been the foundation of society since the beginning, amen. I'm going to incline my heart to righteousness and not wickedness. But everybody's doing it. I don't care if everybody's doing it. There was a whole generation that was doing it, and God drowned them out, but he protected and preserved Noah and his family, and he started over with just a handful of people that inclined themselves to righteousness. You might say a, a heart inclined to wickedness or a heart inclined to righteousness. As Christians, that's an easy choice for us to make. We want to be right before God. We want to be pleasing in the sight of God. But what does it take to purify a heart and make it righteous. You know, none of us can purify our own hearts. None of us can choose to do the right thing all the time. Why? Because as Jeremiah said, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And, and we have this, this nature, this sin nature that wants to act out. So how do we purify, get our hearts purified? There's only one way to make our hearts inclined to righteousness. And that's to be born again and have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus died so that, as our sister said, we can have, you know, as our brother said, we can have fellowship with him. Amen? He didn't die on the cross so, you know, we could just do our own thing and we could, you know, come to church and do some religious stuff. No, God wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. Forget about religion. Forget about man-made stuff. Forget about church. You say, I've never heard a preacher say that before. Welcome to Full Gospel Center. Forget about all that stuff and develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. A real one where you can speak to him and he speaks to you and he speaks to your heart and you open up the scripture and it leaps off the pages. It makes sense to you. He directs your path by the Holy Spirit. Come on, a real relationship. A heart inclined to righteousness. A heart that is redeemed because you're born again and you're in relationship with Christ. So in fact, it's the unconverted heart by way of the fallen nature that's thoroughly inclined to doing wickedness all the time. You saw it in Genesis. Every intent of the thought of their heart was only evil continually. Wow. That's the pendulum swinging as far to the one side as it possibly can. 
You know what? And we know it's the unconverted heart. It's that fallen nature that, you know, does wrong stuff. Why? Because those of us who, you know, have come to Jesus and have a relationship with him, we remember that before we came to Christ and were redeemed, that we couldn't help ourselves from doing the wrong things all the time. How many people are brave enough to say, without Christ, I'd be doing the wrong stuff? Amen. Half of you. Amen. The rest of you didn't need Jesus. He didn't have to die for you, apparently. No, we would. We would do the wrong stuff all the time. Why? Because it's in our nature, and we're excited by it, and it's fun to our flesh. Sin's always fun when you're doing it. It's just not fun when, you know, you have to pay the dues of what it costs. <laughs> When, when the bill comes or when the police knock on your door or when, you know, uh-oh, the fun is over. Sin always takes you further than you wanted to go, costs you more than you wanted to pay, steals from you things you can never get back. Amen. <laughs> so without Jesus, without being redeemed, without my heart being transformed, I do all the things I know I shouldn't be doing. I saw a T-shirt a little while ago. It, it, it was just a blank T-shirt, and on it it said, In my defense, I was left unsupervised. <laughs> man, I need that T-shirt. Anybody feel like, man, I need a team of people watching me. I need alerts and reminders. I need to take my wife with me, and I just look over, and she's like, In my defense, I was left unsupervised. Unrestrained, unsupervised flesh will approach life like this every morning. Good morning, world. How can I satisfy all my lust and greed and sinful, selfish desires today? Woo, it's going to be a good day. Come on, that's the way the flesh is when it's unrestrained. It says, how can I do the least amount of work and get the, least, the most amount of money? How can I enrich myself, elevate myself, feed my ego, get the maximum amount of people to pay attention to me? Do you realize there are people that are on social media all day just to get attention? And they're posting this and posting that and putting their personal business out there. Why? Because they want somebody to give them attention. Are we that insecure? Are we that, you know, are, are, are we that broken that we need the attention of strangers to feel okay about ourselves? How can I pamper myself, pleasure myself, fill myself to excess I want to be drunk. I want to be high. I want to hop from bed to bed. I want to unrestrain myself and do everything that feels good. Woo! Just got real at Full Gospel Center. That's the way we behave with an unconverted heart. Some of us came out of all of those lifestyles. And listen to me. If you're in that lifestyle now and you're thinking, preacher, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. I've been around the block more than, more than a couple times. Have you been around the sun 61 times? 53 for me. I got a lot of mileage on this frame. Trust me, there's nothing in the world that will satisfy you. That sin, that, that recklessness, that all that stuff you think is fun and nobody knows nothing. You're going to, listen, it's going to steal from you. It's all smoke and mirrors. It will never satisfy you. So quit running from God and bow your knee to Jesus and really begin to finally live. We don't even start to live until we come to Jesus and say, ah, uncle, until life beats us so bad that I tap out, man, I'm done. The corner threw in the towel three rounds ago. And just by stubbornness, I'm still going. Mm, stop running. Stand still and let the Lord 
redeem your heart and breathe life into every situation. He will, he will restore you, and he will give you a purpose. Stop running from God. That flesh that's unrestrained, that heart that's untamed, it's not going to bring you to the place of peace. Now, the text says here, a heart that devises. Say devise. It helps when we see words in Scripture that, that are pivotal that we understand them. So what is the meaning of the word devise? Now, in the natural the word devise means to form in the mind. Remember we said the heart is the mind, will, and the emotion. So to devise is to form in the mind or to bring about by way of strategy. So we're strategizing in our minds to do certain things. Here the text is saying a heart that is uh, that devises wicked plans. So devises to form in the mind, to bring about by way of strategy. The Hebrew word used in the text here in the Old Testament means to fabricate or to imagine. There it is again, the imagination. Our imagination is powerful. We could imagine good things or we could imagine bad things. We could imagine a picture of our lives and get a snapshot in the theater of our mind of where we would like to be, and, and, it's, and it's not a good place, Amen. Or we can get a snapshot in the theater of our mind of a place that God wants us to be, and it's a blessed place. We have to incline our heart to the thing that's going to really satisfy us in life, to devise, amen, to use that creativity that God gave us to create the right future, the one that God has predestined for us, the one, the path that God's laid out for us, amen. Too many of us are going in circles, are going in tangents, chasing the wind, trying to do this and trying to do that, and, and, and it's not producing anything, and time is ticking down. Don't waste your 20s. Don't waste your 30s. Don't waste your 40s. We only have a limited amount of time to fabricate, to imagine, to bring about by way of strategy. That's what devise means. So the unconverted heart strategizes and plans and plots wicked things because it's a heart that's inclined to wickedness so it creates wicked things now let me just cover three things this morning that a wicked heart creates number one a wicked heart creates idols for itself to worship the scripture tells us that we're to worship god and god alone we're not supposed to worship idols amen What's an idol? Then now, we think about idols. When I say idols, you know, we think Old Testament, primitive people, people bowing down to statues or wooden things or carved images, you know, simple people. But, you know, idolatry, that's old school. No, I, idolatry is, is alive and well in our current modern technologically advanced society. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. An idol could be a job. It could be a hobby. It could be a person. I've seen Christians make idols out of their spouses and serve their spouse more than they serve God. I've seen Christians make idols out of their children and serve their children instead of God. In fact, there are people here, not here today, because they don't want to bring their kids to church or it's too much of a fuss or whatever, and they've decided to, you know, just make an idol out of the family that God blessed them with, and they don't serve God anymore, and they're not in the house of God. We can make idols out of anything, material possessions, tech toys. Man, some people, it's all about the technology. You got to have the latest this and the latest that. People will stand online in the rain for hours to get the latest phone. I want my flip phone back. 
too much technology, too much, te it's like a leash, it's like an anchor. I'm, people can get me, every, I can't get alone. People get indignant. You didn't answer your phone. I didn't want to talk to you. You, you didn't answer your phone. Yeah, stop calling it. I got the message. I'm, I'm studying. I'm praying. I want to be alone with God. I want to talk to my wife for five minutes. I had to go to the bathroom. Technology can be an idol that people serve, and they get all caught up in it, and they got to have the latest this and the latest that, some hobbies and philosophies and pursuits, and I'm for this cause, and I'm for this cause. What, what sign are you holding up today? What are you marching for today? It can become an idol. We make heroes out of people and leaders. We worship musicians and Hollywood stars. Listen to me. It's all idolatry. Anything that takes the place of God in our lives is an idol. And a wicked heart will make idols for itself to worship. In the Old Testament, they had people who would craft these idols, the silversmiths and people who artisans, and they would create these things, and people would bow down and worship them. And let's not fool ourselves into thinking we're so advanced and so, you know, beyond that, because it's easy for us to get caught up worshiping things. And Jesus alone needs to be the God that we worship on the throne of our hearts. Amen. <clears throat> no shortage of idols today, and a wicked heart will make idols for itself to worship. A wicked heart, number two, will create endless ways to hurt and exploit others. Why does God hate it when people devise wicked things? Why? Because usually the, the, the things that they devise hurt people. And the person who has a wicked heart will always use people to their advantage. Some of us have been used and abused by the people that should have loved us, that should have nurtured us. Parents that used us, teachers, coaches, uh, you know, friends that used us and, and they should have nurtured us, but they didn't. Why? Because their hearts were inclined to wickedness. And it was all about them. And it was never about anybody else. There's an evil in this world that hurts people. And you know what? There's an old expression that says, hurt people hurt people. If you and I are hurt, if you and I are broken, if you and I are angry and bitter, we need to get before the Lord and find a place of healing. Because if we don't heal that anger and bitterness and brokenness in our own hearts, we're going to hurt others. Some of us have been hurt by people that have been hurt by generations past. It was passed down through your family from great-grandpa to grandpa all the way down through your parents to you. And now you even see yourself doing it to the next generation because hurt people hurt people. The wicked heart creates endless ways to hurt and exploit others. You know, we talk about the evils of slavery and how unbiblical and immoral it is, but now the new slavery is called human trafficking, and it's called sex trafficking, and now we have an open border that they are, they are jamming people through and charging them and trafficking them, and what is it? It's slavery. Do you realize what's going on with our open border? It's not about immigration. It's not about people fleeing persecution. The drug cartels are currently running our southern border and they are charging every person you cannot get through that border without paying the cartels and every young boy that comes through now has to mule drugs to pay off his debt and every young girl that comes through now has to prostitute herself to pay off her debt to drug cartels 
And on this side of the border, we're dumb, fat, and happy trying to pretend it's about immigration. Oh, just let them through. You have no idea the wickedness that is occurring on our southern border. The church needs to rise up and with one solid voice say, no, enough, enough of the wickedness. Close down the drug. Do you know more fentanyl has come through our border in recent history? Listen to me. Everybody talks about COVID. Fentanyl has killed more people than COVID has in this last few stretch of years. Our children are overdosing and dying on drugs. And, we're, and there again, we're out to lunch. And we believe the political liars. Oh, it's immigration. It is, oh, and with it, you're racist if you don't want the border open. Wake up foolishness, the foolishness of the sheep in our country to be duped and deceived of what's really going on. Hurt people hurt other people. There's sex trafficking and human trafficking and slavery and drugs and alcohol pouring into our country. Serial abusers of children and women preying on the weak and the poor, and it's a stench in the nostrils of God. And you and I need to get involved and get active and pray about it and do something about it and speak up about it and vote it out of office. Amen. So the wicked heart creates endless ways to hurt and exploit others. Number three, the wicked heart creates darker and darker levels of immorality and perversion. You know, you think about the decline of society, and you can see it in the way we treat our young and we treat our elderly. Uh, you can also see it in the way we treat our sexuality. And, you know, the generation that we're in now has been so completely deceived and unchurched that people don't even date anymore. People, you know, it's just, it's just a hookup culture, they call it. People go from one sexual experience to another and with no commitment, with no strings attached, using each other for pleasure. And God's word says that's fornication, and it's wrong. And listen, well, I just want to have fun. I just want to sow my wild oats. I just want to be free. I want to be liberated. Listen, every time you connect yourself sexually with someone else, you leave a piece of you with them, and you can never get it back. Physiologically, when a man and a woman have intercourse, there is a, a, an exchange that takes place, and the woman will hold in her, bo her body forever a part of the man's DNA. Pay attention to biology. The Bible talks about it being a soul tie when you connect yourself. Because why? The Bible says when you're married and, the, and you, you get married, the two become one flesh. This hookup culture is destroying a, a generation of young people that don't know how to have intimacy, that don't know how to have healthy relationships, that don't know how to be committed to each other. They cheat on others. They've been cheated on, and it's just normal. The mainstreaming of pornography, the societal the societal normalization of everything that the Bible says is immoral. Oh, now it's okay. You can do it. Who, who's anyone to tell you? Listen, the creator created us. He created all of these things, and he alone is the one who can say how it works, and he can put parameters on it. Amen? Sex is a good thing. Most of you are here because of it. But it's for marriage. Save yourself. Wait for marriage. Your marriage will be blessed. Amen. 
And if you've crossed those lines and you've, you've gone too far, ask the Lord to forgive you and set yourself to do, uh, set your heart and incline it to righteousness and pray that the Lord will send you that right person that will meet those needs and desires that he put in you because he created it and he will supply what you need if you wait for him. We're now at the place in our society and even here in, on the west, on the east coast. I, I don't even know what coast I'm on this morning. But we're at the place where the next thing they're talking about legalizing is prostitution. They've, they've taken all the, uh, the, the limits off of abortion, even though the Supreme Court said no Roe v. Wade. New York says, hey, we're opening in a, uh, you know, a five-lane highway. Come on and have an abortion in New York. And then we're going to legalize marijuana, and it's okay. Let's, let's everybody get high. Now, the next thing is prostitution. And there again, why are they doing this? Are they just, you know, they're, they're hip and they're progressive? No, they want tax revenue. They're, they're removing the moral restrainers because their coffers are empty because no one's staying here. So now we're going to legalize prostitution. And as horrific as that sounds, on the table right now being kicked around all throughout the nation is a very aggressive push to normalize pedophilia. How many of you have been privy to the fact, how many of you are privy to the fact that there is legislation out there that wants to normalize pedophilia? Raise your hand if you've heard this stuff. Some, it's out there. There's legislation out there. Now, here's what's going on. Pedophiles have rebranded themselves and they don't call themselves pedophiles anymore. They want to be called MAPS. MAPS are minor attracted people. So they're saying, we're, we're, there's nothing wrong with us. We're, we're MAPS. We're, we're just attracted to minors. And it's an effort to legislate, legalize uh, all, all of these things with, you know, having sex with children and normalize it and decriminalize it. And it's all about the abuse of children. Do you see the downward slide we're on as a society? Because we reject God and we, we, we don't, you know, we're unchurched and we don't bring our kids. And then the next thing you know, it's drugs, it's alcohol, it's addiction, it's prostitution, it's pedophilia. Where does it stop? The wicked heart creates wickedness, darker and darker levels of immorality. God help us if we decriminalize pedophilia and it's open season on our children. Mm. The last part of verse 18 is the fifth thing that God hates. It says, he hates, what, a heart that devises wicked plans and then feet that are swift and running to evil. You know, this describes the quintessential troublemaker. All of us have known people that, you know, when there's trouble, they're not just, you know, finding it, they're running towards it. You know, that one person uh, on your block growing up, that one person maybe in your high school or, you know, that you work with, they're always in trouble. They're always in the middle of trouble. You know, maybe it was you, and that's why it's quiet in here. But we've all known people like that. And God says, what? He hates feet that are swift into running to mischief, describing the quintessential troublemaker, the person who just loves drama. Huh. The older I get, the less drama I want. I want, listen, I used to, <laughs> all my childhood punishments are now my daily goals. I want to go to bed at 9 o'clock. I don't want to go to the party. I don't want to go, I just, leave me alone. Right? Let me watch Longmire, leave me alone. 
But some people love drama. Some people love trouble. We all know them. And they're, you know, they, they run towards it. And look what the word says here. Feet that are swift. They're excited about it. Whoa, I can't get there quick enough to run to evil. The King James says mischief. They're mischievous people. The person who's always stirring the pot. The person who always is lighting the fuse, poking the wounds. Hey, any, any of you have like, you know, a friend, a friend that used to like to poke your wounds? Oh, man, I had some of them. They just, you know, if they knew you had a flaw or something bothered you, oh, that person. They're always inflaming the offenses of others. You know, we grew up watching TV shows where there was at least one mischievous character on every show. Anybody remember Leave it to Beaver, Eddie Haskell, right? How about Dennis the Menace? Oh, we got a lot of Dennis the Menaces these days. On Seinfeld, it was Newman, God saved Newman. All the, villain, all the villains from Batman, the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin, what did these guys do? All they did was make trouble. Didn't they have a day job, Pastor Mike? Trouble, trouble all the time. It's those kind of people. Now, unlike these fictional pests that were meant to be comical caricatures of people we knew in real life, they were supposed to be comical, the person whose feet is swift to run to evil is not humorous at all in the sight of God. And here's why. Because they purposely and unnecessarily stir up trouble, drama, and conflict for others. It's sin, it's destructive, and God hates it. Beware of the person who's always in the middle of the trouble. Beware of the person who's always at the heart of the drama, who's always stirring the pot. I can assure you it's no coincidence. Oh, why are they always, why do they seem to, how come they're, it's not a coincidence. You say, well, if it's not a coincidence, what is it? It's evidence of bad character, of a bitter, angry spirit, of moral rottenness. We need to get away from people like that because they're going to suck us down into the trouble and the mischief, into the drama that they stir up. And you know what I've noticed about them when they do that? They stand back and they watch you go down and they're like, ha-ha, I'm off to the next place. Get away from people like that. Well, well you know, I've known them since I grew up. Unknow them. You know, they were, they're, they're, they're part of my family. Get away from them. Well, I'm married to them. Oh, no, that's another problem. Beware of that person. Here's a newsflash for all of us today. Steer clear of such people. Romans 16, 17 says this. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, keep your eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned. Turn away from them. Did you hear that? I urge you what? Keep an eye on those. Look around. Point to your neighbor and go, I'm watching you. Hey, I'm watching you. We've got to keep an eye on the things we allow into our lives, amen? Some of these people are just a constant disruption to our lives. It's just turn away from them. Listen to t- Titus 3, 10, 11. This is graphic, what it says here. Warn a divisive person once. Did you hear that? Warn them. You're a troublemaker. You create drama. You're stirring the pot. Warn them. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. Listen to this. After that, have nothing to do with them. You can be assured that such people are warped and sinful and self-condemned. Sometimes we got to cut people loose. 
when we've spoken to them a couple times, and you're always getting me in trouble, and you're always leading me down the wrong path, and you're always getting me to do things I know I shouldn't do, and you're always stirring the pot, and look, I don't need that in my life. Once, twice, cut it. Now, I know this kind of preaching doesn't fill seats, but it's biblical. And it says right here, now, we are foolish not to cut people loose when they're destructive to us. And when we see people whose feet are swift to running to evil, where they're mischievous, where they're always stirring up trouble, we need to get away from them. Now, our feet should be different than the feet that run to stir up mischief. Our feet should bring the good news of the gospel everywhere we go. Our feet should bring hope to people. Our feet should speak life into people. Amen. Uh, are you getting any of this today? Some of you look half dead out there. Wherever you go, hey, you know what? Where your feet go, next time your feet carry you someplace, you look at your feet and then realize north of your feet is your mouth. Now, what happens when your feet carry you someplace? You can either encourage people or discourage people. You can join in the complaining. You can, tell, you can laugh at the dirty joke and tell a joke of your own, or you can speak words of life. Wherever your feet carry you, carry the gospel. Carry the love of God. Carry some encouragement in your lips. Amen? <laughs> Just cut right through all the nonsense and all the negativity and say, hey, you look good today, even if you've got to say it in faith. You losing weight? Forgive me, Jesus. <laughs> encourage somebody. It doesn't cost you anything to be nice to someone, to encourage them, to give, give them a smile. We were at the mall the other day, and it started to rain, and I'm running to, the, to go into Macy's, and someone's running out, and we look at each other, and the rain's pelting us, and we just smiled at each other. I don't even know if we spoke the same language, but we were both just smiling, and it was just like a little connection there. It was just a little exchange of happiness. Yeah, we're getting wet, but this is, you know, we count this as a bath. <laughs> Everywhere you go, bring some joy, bring some love, bring some encouragement, bring a smile. It's just amazing what your demeanor can do in a situation. <laughs> Look, we all work with people that, you know, cactuses, right? But just a smile, just a kind word, just a, just a laugh or a smack on the back. You and I... We're designed to carry the presence of God wherever we go. And when we do, we will change the atmosphere in the lives of people who are hurting and broken and need someone just to show them a little bit of love. You and I should have feet that carry the goodness of God and the presence of God into every situation. These people whose feet are swift to running to evil, get away from them. They're not going to any good place watch them and when they hit the ground and they're broken reach out to them in love and see if you can pull them out of the dark into the light and let Jesus change their lives amen a heart that devises wicked plans feet that are swift and running to evil next week God willing if we're together a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren verse 19 let's bow our heads this morning Father, I thank you for the word of God. I, I pray that it encouraged your people today. Father, I pray for each of us that are out there today. All of us struggle. All of us struggle with sin. All of us have disappointments and brokenness in life. Father, I pray that we would see the truth of uh, the fact that our hearts need to be redeemed by a relationship with you. 
Jesus, that you, you died on the cross not to just start a religion or to become a, an icon or to become a piece of jewelry, but you died on the cross to pay the price, to pay the debt of my sin, of our sin, that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. You offer salvation and eternal life as a free gift to anyone who calls out. As we're all here together today, let's bow our heads and let's consider the condition of our souls today. The Bible says that we are either lost or found. The difference is that if we're found, we've come to Jesus, we've confessed our sins, we've accepted him as Savior and Lord, and he's forgiven us. If we're lost, it means we're trying to solve all our problems ourselves, our own way, and we've rejected God's way. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. It's so simple. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to clean yourself off. You don't have to get your act together. You just come to him as you are. He loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. He will change you by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood that he shed on the cross. If you're here today and saying, I want a clean slate and a fresh start, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to draw a line on my past and live a different way from this moment forward. I want to incline my heart to righteousness, and I want to be forgiven and a child of God. I want my destiny settled right now. God offers all of that to you if you will just say yes to Jesus. How many people here today would say yes to Jesus? I want a clean slate and a fresh heart. Just raise your hand. God bless you, sir. God bless you, too. God bless you. God bless you. Keep your hands up. The ushers are passing out a uh, little something uh, to put into your hand, a little Bible track, just to encourage you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Anyone else today? Okay. Guys, front row. Ushers, front row. Hello. This is the most important part of our service. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus. I come to you, and I recognize who you are. You're the Savior, and I confess I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins, and I accept you and what you did on the cross as the payment for my sin. I'm forgiven. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me the power to live a different life from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, may, if you prayed that prayer right now, welcome to the family of God. God bless you this morning.